I think one thing that I've noticed being a recruiter and when I used to interview is just be yourself. I think that's something to remember and know the corporate values of the company, corporate values and their mission statement. That's what companies go off of to make big decisions. So if you don't line up with that and you're talking to the recruiter and you're realizing, you know, I'm not really this way, that's probably a big indication. And then if you're trying to be a certain way that you're not, then you're not going to be a fit for that company. Hello, it's Marcy Bullock with season two of your favorite career readiness podcast. Learn tips on personal and professional development, hear inspiring stories of overcoming obstacles. I devote my life to helping other people figure out what to devote theirs to. This is Marcy Bullock with the most important five P's. Stay present, trust the process, explore your path, release the pressure valve, and unleash your potential. Wolfpack in the house, welcome. It is 12 o'clock. It is 2-21-21. We see our participant number rising into the hundreds of Wolfpack students who have decided to spend time on their weekend thinking about their future, thinking about their career paths, where they want to be for their internships, for their careers when they graduate. And we're so happy that you have spent some time with us today. But today's panel, I'm really excited about because these are the hiring managers. So to kick us off today for CareerCon, each one of my favorite talent acquisition managers from an amazing company that does a lot of hiring of college graduates is here to answer your questions about what they see when they are interacting with talent from universities around the entire nation. They don't just recruit at NC State, they recruit all over the country for internships and entry-level students transition from college to career. So my plan is to kick off with some introductions of the panelists. I'm going to call on each one of them, and I'm going to ask them to tell um, our class today, we've got 300 of you here, a little bit about themselves, their company, and of course, a fun fact. So to kick us off, Sarah Krepp. Good afternoon, students. Um, Sarah Krepp. I am Vice President of Human Resources with Astari Oncology. We're a small biotech company out in the park. Um, and you may have heard of us. We've been on 60 Minutes a couple of times. Um, our organization utilizes the polio vaccine, and we inject that into tumors so that the tumors uh, light up, your body sees them, and then it, there's an attack of those tumors just through your natural immunoresponse system. So um, that's, that, that's um, what we do in a nutshell. Um, fun fact for me is that I have found out during COVID that I love deep sea fishing. So I've been able to take my mask off and get out on the ocean a little bit and, and catch some pretty big fish over the last few months. Thank you, Sarah. Next up is Catherine Cassidy. Hey everyone, I'm Catherine Cassidy. I am a campus manager on our university relations team um, with Eaton Corporation. So we are a $22 billion power management company. Um, we have an industrial sector and an electrical sector. Um, we, you name it, it generates power and you can make it work. It probably Eaton is behind it. Um, so we work with NC State a lot because a lot of our um, facilities, we have about nine located in North Carolina. So it's one of the largest concentrated areas for, um, for Eaton. And um, fun fact about me, I was on the show, Let's Make a Deal with Wayne Brady. And I won a trip to Vancouver, Canada. Very fancy, very fancy. 
<laughs> Thank you, Catherine. Deep Sea Fishing and TV stars. Darling Godsey, how are you going to follow that act? I feel extremely boring. <laughs> I'll come up with something. Um, so Darlene Gatti, I am the Director of Business Operations for Q Squared Solutions, which is headquartered in the Triangle as well. We are a joint venture between IQVIA, which probably most of you know from the giant building sitting off of 540 and 480, um, as well as our other parent company is Quest Diagnostics. So what we do is the lab processing for patients who are going through clinical trials and in the drug development process to make sure that the drug is safe and effective. Um, interesting facts kind of along the way through COVID, we've also been supporting some of the community testing as, uh, as our parent company, Quest Diagnostics, for example, has been overloaded with trying to get patient samples um, conducted. So, you know, as, as clinical trials may have taken a pause and everyone stopped going to the doctor momentarily back in the in spring of 2020, um, we jumped in to try to help with that effort. And now we're more involved, I would say, on the side of developing vaccinations. So um, interesting journey for us over the last year, uh, away from what we were used to seeing. Um, a fun fact about me, I have nothing to compete with being on a TV show or anything else. Um, but I guess I'll just say, as it, as it might relate to questions students may have or how I may help students maybe going forward from a networking perspective, um, I started my career getting a finance degree. I ended up in HR because that was the role that was available. Uh, I worked in HR for well over a decade and I am no longer in HR anymore. <laughs> um, so I'm actually working more in a chief of staff role for our CEO um, and still touching some of the workforce dynamics. But I think from a, a career transition perspective, this has been pretty exciting. I think, uh, you know, some people feel like they can't make that change. And so it's been an interesting journey for me. That's exciting, Darlene. And you've been in HR at so many companies that I know you're going to have wonderful answers today that students will have to their questions. All right. So our first three were really more STEM engineering focused companies. Our next three are going to be branching out into other areas, business and humanities. Jenny Hoffler. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm Jenny Hoffler. I'm the Director for University Recruiting at MetLife. You may be familiar with our three large buildings, Phi Lake, Crabtree, and Cary. Um, we're a 152-year-old firm. Um, employee benefits is typically how you might know us. So if you went to the dentist and through your parents' um, dental insurance, it might have been MetLife. So um, I am so happy to be here. We hire over 100 interns every year as well as entry-level students into our programs. Um, I'm very focused on the technology side uh, of hiring as well as investment roles, actuarial positions, um, even supply chain procurement. So a wide variety of opportunities. Um, I'm born and raised in Cary. My fun fact is that I lived across the street from Marcy Bullock, so I feel like I was right by a celebrity <laughs> growing up. Uh, and um, my brother and my dad both graduated from NC State, so we do have a uh, Wolfpack in our house as well. I love your fun fact. I've known Jenny since she was 11. Next up is Laura McAtee. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Uh, so I'm Laura. I graduated from NC State back in 2017, although it feels like yesterday sometimes. Uh, I am currently the Talent Acquisition and Diversity and Inclusion Specialist, very long title, uh, at Workplace Options. I uh, met Jenny, you might be familiar with us. Uh, we're kind of as well in the uh, employee assistance program space, so employee benefits. We do anything from physical health to day-to-day -day support like child or elder care uh, to mental health. So we provide support telephonically to over about 100,000 companies around the world. So very international. 
And we do hire a lot of entry students, especially from NC State, because I'm a little biased towards NC State grads. Um, Marce actually hired someone from your class, I think, two years ago after I spoke there. Uh, and my fun fact, uh, I got engaged back in August. My bring on here. <laughs> so good things happening over here. And Laura's an alum from my class as well. So it's always fun to have students that have taken my class come back as wonderful superstar successes. Next up is Bob Miles. Uh, my name is Bob Miles. I am a talent acquisition manager at RTI International. And it's hard to sum up what RTI does in a, in a brief intro. Um, people ask, and I always ask how much time they have. But in a nutshell, um, we do government contracted research primarily um, in social science, laboratory science, international development, and pharmaceutical consulting. Um, so we're always, you know, always hiring in the STEM fields and, and other fields as well. Um, fun fact, I'm jealous um, that I haven't been deep sea fishing, um, but uh, fun fact would be I actually started training for a race this morning that I'm doing in May in Bryce Canyon, 36 miles, so I spent a very cold morning in Umstead, and, um, and, and my legs hurt. That's my fun fact for this morning. That's exciting, Bob. Good luck in that 36. You. You're going to run all 36 miles yourself? I'll probably walk a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I can't wait to follow your journey. So proud of all of our panelists today. Did I hit all of you? You Okay, I think so. So I'm going to kick off with our first question to Bob. Do experiences such as projects and internships put you in a better spot to be hired, even if your GPA is less than the minimum required? Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not sure about other companies, but we don't ask GPA anymore. We're not allowed to put it on our job descriptions. Um, it, we just felt that it wasn't indicative of future success, but we do look at internships. We look at projects. You know, when you're coming out entry level, entry level, anything you've done during your college career counts toward, you know, the role you're probably applying to. So I go projects first and, you know, don't worry about, well, I wouldn't say don't worry about your GPA, but don't stress over it. That's an interesting perspective, Bob. And, you know, one thing I heard recently, you said you can't ask the GPA. Um, and I definitely want our other panelists to chime in because I think some of you do screen on GPA. And I always tell students, like, no one will ask you your GPA five years out of college. But some will ask you originally. And recently, one of my alums applied for a job, and she was not even allowed to say the name of her university. Because, like Laura knows, with the diversity, equity, and inclusion, they don't want to be like, oh, we're giving preference to this Ivy League student. So a lot of things are changing. Any other panelists, um, please unmute if you would like to add something about the GPA. I can. Um, we do require uh, GPA. So we like to see that up front. Um, we have lowered it, to be honest, you know, with all the research that we've been looking at. Um, so I'm not sure if it's something like Bob was saying where we might be going away from it. Um, we're still looking into that, but we do require um, 2.8. And Jenny, you were going to add two for MetLife. Yes, very uh, similar to Catherine in that we're definitely reevaluating. Um, ours is program by program. So actuarials might be 3.2, whereas sales trainee program didn't require GPA. So we're trying to become more consistent across the firm um, and really, really look at the person more holistically because it it almost, it seems really tough when someone's working a full-time job and they're trying to be involved in some activities on campus and they're trying to get good grades. Um, you don't want to necessarily hold a GPA against them, which is almost what it feels like when someone's being screened based on their GPA. So we're definitely 
definitely trying to take into account and consideration so many different dynamics um, that a person has to under leadership, all of these other really tangible, important aspects. I think the GPA is becoming a data point, but maybe less and less of a most valued one, whereas it, it be that one of the first things that you looked at. So I definitely like that dynamic. Yeah, and I wanted to really quickly comment on that too. I think it depends on industry as well, uh, because in my job, you know, doing health and wellness, like some positions, I could see my my hiring directors looking at that, but honestly, I've never looked twice um, at a at a GPA. Uh, but I think some like engineering places or technology or maybe finance, like they might look a little bit more at that. So I think maybe just looking into your particular industry and seeing if that's you know, something that they consider reaching out to your network and like Catherine, you know, she would, she can tell you that they do look at GPA versus me. I would say, you know, don't worry about it. <laughs> so I think it just depends on what you're targeting as well. Yeah. And I, oh, Go ahead, Bob. I was just going to say, I'd also add, even if it's not asked for, if you have a really good GPA, put it on there, right? Brag about it. You know, just, just because they don't ask, don't leave it off. Yeah. And Sarah, I'll throw this, this follow-up to this piece to you too, because, um, you know, there is so much more to a candidate than just how they performed with a class grade. And obviously we don't want to communicate to students, your GPA doesn't matter, but we're in a global pandemic. We understand not everybody learns well distance ed. So what if a student was doing really well, then in 2020, you know, they had to share their internet with the sibling, move home back to their high school bedroom. I mean, what do you think about the grades at that point? And should they address that in the interview? I think if it comes up in the interview, certainly being prepared for that question is is, is prudent. But I think 2020, you know, into 2021 right now is, is going to be a year of grace for everyone. So um, we, we've all lived through it. We all understand that it was a, a trying, tumultuous time. So um, certainly if someone's GPA dipped during that point, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't look harshly at that. I mean, the, the other things that I look for on a resume, you know, I would personally rather see someone who had maybe a, you know, a lower GPA, but who had been involved with um, team sports that lets me know that, know that they're a good collaborator, that they can pull together with others. Um, someone who's, you know, gone and, and done some really interesting work or internships or maybe some um, philanthropy that they've been involved with. I think there's a there's a depth and a dimension to a person that comes across in a resume, you know, far beyond just, you know, one specific data point, you know, to, to Jenny's to Jenny's point, you know, of having this one GPA. So I'm I'm really looking more holistically, what is this entire person going to be able to bring to bear? How are they um, you know, connected not only in what they they do academically, but in their in their greater you know community. Thank you for that follow up. We're going to move now into social media. So we see some people have LinkedIn sites. Some people are using lots of different ways to promote themselves as employers are wanting to know about a candidate. So Laura, would you mind letting us know what you think about social media? Is it important to get your first job, and what recommendations do you have for the Wolf Pack? Yeah, yeah. So I think there's kind of two sides to it. I mean, when it comes to LinkedIn, I definitely think it's important to at least have one. Uh, coming from a recruiting standpoint, I use LinkedIn constantly for recruiting. So I have a recruiter account, you know, I'm that one that bugs you <laughs> kind of sending messages, but it's a great way and an easy way for recruiters to do searches and, and reach out to people. So that's one asset to it. 
Um, I'd say with LinkedIn, I would definitely keep it updated. You know, I look at people's profiles because I just do phone interviews. So it's nice for me to put a face to the name. So definitely have a professional photo. I think that's incredibly important. Um, and then I like to look at facts. I look, I look at languages, your skills, recommendations. I personally do that. Some recruiters don't. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily really important to have every detail of your life on there because recruiters typically... I think 10 seconds is like the average that they're going to go through, especially if they're a really fast-paced recruiter. So I don't think it's important to keep everything on there, but I definitely would at least have a professional photo, your job descriptions and any languages because people, recruiters do filter by that. Uh, when it comes to other social media like Facebook and Instagram, I don't personally ever look at that. I do have a, the person who oversees our account management department always looks at people's Facebooks for some reason. Um, he's uh, the hiring manager in that department. So I think as a general rule, I would just keep your, your social media private. Uh, that way, if a hire manager gets curious or a recruiter gets curious, they're not going to see something they don't like because human bias, you know, they might see something and be like, you know what, I don't think they're going to be a fit here. Uh, so I would just keep that privatized. But in, in terms of LinkedIn, I definitely encourage you all to keep that update. And I know Marcy gives you a lesson on that. So keep, take all those tips she's given you um, and at least have a professional photo at the minimum. Yeah, and I'll let some of our other panelists, if they would like to unmute, add to that. Uh, I was going to say, uh, second, the, the LinkedIn photo. That's actually my biggest pet peeve on LinkedIn. Um, I do trainings around LinkedIn and profile building. And if I, I don't like seeing pictures of dogs and couples and things like that. I mean, it doesn't have to be a, a stodgy um, headshot, per se. You could show your personality, but, but it, has to, you know, it has to be appropriate. And then also um, emphasizing the banner photo as well, because the banner photo can reflect a lot about you, um, whether it's an NC State banner photo or a cause you believe in, or just or just a really you know nice skyline picture or something like that. But um, yeah, LinkedIn the profile po photos are my biggest pet peeve. Then Jenny, did you want to add something to that? Yes. Um, I'm going to tell y'all, if I could give you one piece of advice to take out of here, which I, I hope we give you a lot of advice, but it would be that you ensure your LinkedIn is updated and that you use it. You don't buy a car to sit it in the garage. LinkedIn is your car. It is going to take you places and you're going to use this tool in very different ways, depending on what juncture you are in the interview process. Right now, you're putting your profile out there. You're starting to build your personal brand virtually, which is really important right now. And then if you get a job interview, you're going to use that LinkedIn to maybe research information about the firm as well as information about your interviewer. But once you have that job, if you have an internship, hopefully it's very nerve wracking. I know your initial first kind of post, like putting yourself out there, but hopefully you will post and share what you've been working on and what you've been doing, because this is your living, breathing resume of your experience and skills. And after that job is over, hopefully you will have connected with people and you're networking with them and you're adding them as links. And you never know how those networks will lead to job opportunities in the future. My current role, I received through someone reaching out to me on LinkedIn, and I'm very glad I did. But keep your options open and always keep your network open. And I think you should try to leverage and use this tool as much as you can. And the more you interact with LinkedIn, the more LinkedIn um, rewards you. So the more that you're liking, commenting, posting, the more that your profile is moving up um, with the kind of the way that their algorithms work. So hard to be long-winded, but that's just my best piece of advice for you. So 
such a good piece of advice. And students, I'm really excited that you're asking questions. I'm going to go off script now to the, the Q&A because we really want this to be for you. You're the ones here live. I will also say, as um, Jenny was saying, comment on things, connect to people. If you connect to any of our panelists today, please do a personalized LinkedIn connection, not a generic, will you join my network? Because we get hundreds of those a day. I see my panelists nodding. That's where you personalize the connection. Okay, so let's look at this Q&A. Thank you, Emily, for asking. What are the things that stand out the most to hiring managers on resumes or applications that would make them look at you closer after the initial screening? Who wants to take that stab at that one to begin with? I'll jump in really quickly. Uh, organization. I can't tell you as a recruiter how much of a struggle it is if I see a resume and I can't quickly pick out things. I think I saw some report that an average recruiter looks at a resume for six seconds. I don't know if that's still accurate. And it's it's sad to think about. And I, I try and do my best to look at them for as long as possible. But when you're screening so many resumes, especially a large company, you have to do something to stand out. And an easy way to do that is just make it easy to read. You don't have to do something fancy like put in colors or, you know, make it some big graphic design. And if you can, great, because you definitely will stand out. But just the little things like having your your name up at the front, having your education, some bullet points of skills, just keep everything in the same format. That way your recruiter can easily find things to navigate and they don't have to sit there and, and search for everything. Um, so that's just something everyone can easily do. Um, you can find tons of templates online. I know Marcy provides them to you. Just just making it easy to read, I think, is the, the best thing to keep in mind. Yes, and if um, my teaching assistant could put a link to our career guide in the chat, that will give you example templates, but we want you to customize it. Um, Bob, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I was just going to add that, um, you know, in, in this day and age, the, I'll date myself here and say back when I was applying the jobs, when I got out of college, um, we, we had one resume and we mailed them, right? <laughs> we didn't use the internet, that's embarrassing, um, but in this day and age, you should be tailoring your resume to each position that you apply. Because I see very often resumes that apply to positions and they don't align well with the position. And then in some cases, um, some might reach out and say their friend applied and we go look at it, you know, give it another look. And then you talk to the person and realize they have all of the qualifications for the role, but none of them are on the resume, um, which is which is doing yourself a disservice because without that you know, inside track to make us go take a second look, you, you wouldn't have been viewed by a hiring manager. So when you're applying to a job, look at the job description, look at the qualifications and make sure you have that on your resume and preferably have the most important information to the top, right? So it's good to have um, jobs while you're going to school, but your jobs in school shouldn't be above the qualifications portion of your resume that, that make you um, a viable candidate. That's an excellent point, Bob. Thank you so much. And Darlene, did you want to add to that? Yeah, just being more specific probably to what Laura and Bob have already mentioned. When I've trained my staffing teams in the past, I think it's just important to have the perspective that that recruitment team, that talent acquisition team is a gateway for someone else to look at your resume. And they often don't have the same background that you have. So if you're applying to a technical role, if it's IT, if it's something in a lab, if it's engineering, et cetera, it's likely the hiring manager has told our staffing team words 
to go look for a specific software, a specific piece of equipment that they've used, um, a specific technique in a lab environment, et cetera. So for, in particular, if it's a technical role, you want to use the same words that the employer has published in that job description online, because that may be the only connection that recruiter has to understanding that you have that skill set. They may not know acronyms. They may not know other versions of the same technique. They've been given very specific instructions. And so um, that's always really helpful too, just to make sure you make it through that first gateway. Excellent. Yes, Jenny. They definitely include projects that you've done in school that may align to the work that you're hoping to do. You don't always have to be paid for work that's on your uh, resume. So school projects that align could be a good fit. And also it's okay if you're a server at a restaurant or you have a job that currently doesn't align to the one that you're hoping to get, you're still gonna learn extremely valuable skills, customer service, being on time, professionalism, dealing with difficult scenarios. So it's okay to include those type of um, current jobs that you may have and think about how you could use those when you're parlaying your resume into an interview. I think sometimes people remove um, roles that they're actually working at because they don't think, oh, it's not IT and I want an IT job, so those don't fit. I just wanted to throw that out there, but absolutely own everything that's on the resume. So don't list a bunch of skills that you may not have just because you're hoping for the resume to be seen because whatever is on your resume is fair game to be asked in the interview. So you do want to make sure you feel comfortable and confident with what you've listed. Catherine, what do you want to say? Yeah. Oh, I was just going to add leadership skills. We That's one thing that will help you from anyone else stand out. And we look for that. Um, I, I've talked to students so many times and they'll say, yeah, I'm a member of Nesby and I'm actually been the president for two years. I've been the treasurer. And I'm like, oh gosh, it's not on your resume. That's amazing. You're the largest chapter in the nation. <laughs> you really should probably put that on your resume. That's great. So just wanted to add to make sure leadership, if you've held any type of of um, role in a student org, anything like that, make sure that that's listed too. 100%, Catherine. And, and students, just remember, there are eight career competencies that all employers are seeking. Leadership is one of those. Grant or Sari will put in the chat a YouTube so that if you need to learn the other seven and you aren't sure of what the career competencies are, you can go back to that YouTube. All right, next up. So we we are not going to ask really specific questions about coding and interviews, but we do have a question about how do panel companies look at OPT international student applicants? I I can share um, what we do. It's it's hard for us because we're a government contractor. So we have to have someone that's a U.S. citizen or green card holder or um, a refugee. Um, so it makes it really hard for us if anyone's going to need sponsorship in the future, um, even if it's for internships, too. Um, so if you can, you know, work currently, but you would need a sponsorship in the future, we it's still hard for us because that's our pipeline. So we're bringing the interns in to learn the skill set to bring them on for full time. Um, so it makes it really hard for us to be able to do any type of sponsorship. Bob? Yeah, we're, we're able, I'd say about 90% of our jobs, we're able to, to bring in um, international students. It's, it's not to say that the manager has the budget. Um, in my groups, because I'm working with the, the laboratory sciences primarily, we do a lot of hiring and support visas. Um, but there is a small percentage of groups within RTI that due to um, particular government contracts, we just aren't able to, um, to do that, um, where we have to have a U.S. citizen you know, defense contracts and things like that. 
And a great resource, Wolfpack fans, is called Going Global. If you click on the link Going Global, which is a vendor that we have purchased, it shows you all of the international friendly companies that would be open to students that may have a different visa. All right, next question up that got a lot of upvotes um, from Mina is, ooh, I love this one. What, so thank you, Mina. What are some common mistakes made during interviews? So who wants to start off with mistakes? Uh, I think probably the biggest mistake I see is someone coming into an interview and not being prepared at all for the types of questions that they want to ask, for the individuals that they're going to be meeting with, um, or the responsibilities that they're going to have. So, um, you know, when I see someone face to face, I want them to come in with a couple of things. I want there to be you know, a spark and an interest in our organization. I want them to have reviewed our website. They should know who some of the key people they're going to be meeting with are. They should have looked over the job posting and, and be prepared to talk about the skills that they have that, that are a perfect match for the position, but also be very, um, be very transparent about the areas that they still need to learn and develop in. Um, you know, a lot of times we post requirements for positions and then we have nice to haves as well. And an applicant doesn't necessarily have to have all the nice to have. They just need to have the desire to want to master those areas and for that to come through during the interview process. So, um, again, making sure you have great questions for the panel, making sure you've done your research and your homework before you come in and, and that you're, you're just well prepared for the experience, I think, is the best thing that you can do. I was going to jump on that really quick. I definitely agree with that, <laughs> um, especially getting on a phone interview and, and people have no idea what your company does. That's a you know big no-no. Uh, I think one thing that I've noticed being a recruiter and when I used to interview is just be yourself. I think that's something to remember and know the corporate values of the company. Corporate values and their mission statement, that's what companies go off of to make big decisions. So if you don't line up with that and you're talking to the recruiter and you're realizing, you know, I'm not really this way, that's probably a big indication. And and then if you're trying to be a certain way that you're not, then you're not going to be a fit for that company. You know, if you're thinking, oh, I want more work-life balance or I want, you know, some sort of wellness perk or, you know, I want to do this and that company is just not lining up, pretending you're going to enjoy that isn't going to do any good for you or for them. And recruiters can tell very easily too um, when you're not being yourself, especially if it's in person. So I would just keep in mind, you know, to be true to, to what you're looking for and make sure that you, you ask those questions too to make sure that you're going to fit in with that company. Yeah. And I was going to say to um, don't be scared to say I didn't understand that question, but in a nice way, can you rephrase that? Or can you say that one more time? Um, a lot of times I get students that get kind of uncomfortable and they're very nervous and um, they just fight through it and you know they're they're completely off what they're what they're trying to say and you know they had a really good example and they could have formatted it really well um, so you know sometimes the interviewers don't they aren't you know natural interviewers especially virtually so sometimes just ask them to rephrase it they don't know to say would you like for me to rephrase that for you they aren't in hr um so don't be scared to do that or ask for clarification or ask for a minute if you're taking down notes all of those are great things things i, I don't really like that here is can we circle back to that one <laughs> no we can't circle back to that one but if you'd like for me to rephrase it we, we can rephrase that one um, if that if that's the issue. So there's just ways you can say it um, and then it, that it sounds really professional and that you're still, um, you know, interested and, and trying to work through it. 
think just to elaborate on what Catherine said too, you can also ask if you've answered the, their question, right? So they may not have asked the question in a way that you gave them the, the type of scenario they were looking for. Um, I do that in my everyday life anyway. Did I answer your question? Um, did I cover what you were thinking, you know, you were trying to get at? Um, it's perfectly fine to ask. That's really great. Go ahead. I was just say, I would just recommend that you practice out loud. Best place to practice in front of the mirror in your bathroom. Laugh if you will, but I think students practice in their head. It sounds very different in your head than it does saying it out loud. And since very uncomfortable to interview anyway, because you don't know what someone's going to ask you, it's kind of good for you to say it out loud and hear how you may want to respond, how, how it might sound. Looking up you know, interview questions you could get and just like practicing with another person or practicing them out loud. Um, you wouldn't go to the Super Bowl without having done practice. If you're trying to land a job that you're really hoping is going to be your career, you're going to hope that you would do some practice before that. And I find that oftentimes I've had students say, oh, well, this is just the first interview I've ever done. And it makes me feel like they weren't, they demonstrate sometimes during it that they weren't necessarily prepared for that first interview. So you want to be able to come in with confidence, you should definitely and we offer practice mock interviews through EPAC. So um, we'll pop that link in the chat again for anyone that got here late. If you log into EPAC, you can schedule a mock interview with your career coach. Um, many of our career coaches are going to be moderating panels this afternoon. They are assigned to your college. So if you're in business, you have, you know, Janet Rakes. If you are in uh, the College of Sciences, you have Wes Wade. If you are in humanities, you have Sarah Wild. Every single college, Glenda Darrell for engineering. And they're here to practice, like Jenny said. Like you just pop in a time, you make an appointment, and you get feedback. And because so many interviews are virtual now, it's really, really great to practice it. We had another good question pop in the Q&A I wanted to ask, which was from Ryan. Thank you so much for this question. Um, and I will tell you, we do have a, a podcast answering this, and it's episode five, but I want to see what this panel says too. What are some of the best questions to ask interviewers to really stand out? Okay, so this is what the candidate would ask. What are your thoughts on asking questions if they have any doubt about them to try to address it. Let me say that again. What are your thoughts on asking the interviewer if they have any doubts about them? Oh, about you as a candidate. Like, do you doubt that I'm qualified for this job? Or what am I lacking for this job? Ooh, great question, Ryan. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, um, I worked at a company once where we um, hired 300 salespeople over the course of about probably about two months. And every single salesperson at the end of their at the end of their interview would always ask, do you have any questions? Are there anything that I can go back and clarify for you? And they, they, they would close a little harder. They would actually say, do you um, are you comfortable recommending me for this position? Because they were really, you know, in sales, they needed to be able to show that they could close and, and get themselves to the next level. So um, I don't know that, that you necessarily want to be that forthcoming or, or that um, not aggressive, but um, close that hard maybe during a typical interview. But I always think it's wise to say, you know, thank you for your time today. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to learn more about the organization. Is there anything else I can clarify for you about my background? And I think it's a really nice way to tie things out. 
Yeah. Or I think uh, uh, I was going to say, Sarah, I totally agree with that. And then another way you could phrase it is maybe like what what would make this candidate successful? And then that's giving your recruiter a way to give you, you know, their ideal candidate and also being able to compare it to yourself. Um, so maybe you might put the recruiter on the spot a little bit, you know, saying like, am I a good fit? Because some recruiters are going to be like, oh, yeah, but then, you know, you're not. Um, so hopefully they give you honest feedback, but another way you could phrase that is just what makes this candidate successful. And then you can yourself kind of go through that evaluation. So just another suggestion of how you could phrase that same question. Yeah, and to, to a similar answer. And I actually had this question asked of me this week and a candidate asked if I was to get this job and we, were, we had this conversation a year later, how would success be um, defined? Um, I told them to ask the hiring manager, but uh, but <laughs> I didn't have that answer, right? Um, so so he did actually, and he brought that up in his in his interview, and the, and the hiring manager absolutely loved the question. Um, so I thought it was a fantastic answer, and I couldn't believe it's the first time a candidate asked that. That is my favorite question. Marcy's probably heard me say this like. 10 times over so many years, we had uh, someone come in who was an NC State engineering student who had actually interned with us, but then was interviewing for a full-time position at the end of the internship. And she stepped back and the only thing she had ever done was the internship other than some leadership courses. And I'm confident she was engaged with a variety of uh, leadership activities on campus. And she said, how we measure performance um, and my success in this job and I stepped back and I thought, most experienced candidates don't ask me that question, but here's a student who has no experience going through a performance appraisal, but has enough leadership qualities in her that she wants to understand how to be successful in her career. And it's it stuck with me. It's probably been over a decade at this point, but that is absolutely one of my favorite experiences I've had. That's why I liked it as well, because this was a May grad. This was someone that hasn't even graduated yet. And I was just like, I was blown away um, because it was just, it was smart. It was a good question. What a great way to stand out. And, and something Sarah said earlier about just like really knowing your company. I, I can't emphasize that enough. And our DHL library friends, I'm going to have Grant pop in some links to how you actually dig into places like Business Source Complete, which it's not just what um, MetLife wants you to know about their company and what they put on their website. Because of course, Jenny, they're going to say they're amazing, right? But it's what everybody else is saying. You can do a SWOT analysis on a company, know their strengths, weakness, opportunities, and threats, and you are going to blow away your interviewer if you use these resources, and our library pays for them. And Sarah, did you want to add on that? I think it's so important, Marcy, like you said, to, to do the research on the companies, and, and not only on the specifics, you know, the revenue or, um, you know, budgets, things like that, but also, you know, the cultural aspect of the company. Uh, one of the things that's changed so dramatically, you know, being virtual now and not actually walking into a physical location is that we don't get that kind of sense of the energy. We don't see people interacting kind of casually because we're not having the opportunity to go into to buildings or offices. So um, for me, you know, interviewing and, and interviewing others, um, it's really important to see, you know, if I meet with with four different people and they all are giving me a consistent message about the, the values of the company and, and you know, the, the work style and um, what to expect or just someone have, you know, does everyone have kind of a different answer for that? Um, because to me, the more consistent messaging you hear, the more aligned the organization is and the more agreement there is about the core values and how we operate together as a team and what behaviors we're going to um, embody collectively. So 
um, just encouraging, I guess, students to, to push into the culture more as they go through and they interview and interact with these different people. Excellent. These are such good questions. Students, wow, you, you're on fire today on this afternoon. The next one's from Allison. And Allison wrote, how do I communicate during an interview that I know about who I am speaking with? What if I know about some of the people, but not others? Like know about the, the hiring manager? Right. I think they maybe they have some connections in the company and they would like to um, like communicate that they have some direct connection with that organization. Maybe they know a couple people on the staff or someone that works there. Oh, I think always flaunt your connections. <laughs> I mean, in a professional manner, though, I mean, don't, you know, say your personal relationship, maybe, but but any connection you have with the company is a great gateway and you should definitely use it. Because um, referrals go a really long way. I mean, recruiters love that too. The easier you make their job, the better. So if you know someone and they can give you a great recommendation, or if you chatted with someone through LinkedIn, like any any small connection you make can help. You just have to go about it the right way. So, you know, not maybe throwing in like personal details, but you can say, hey, you know, I, I met this person here, or they're my aunt, or whatever it is. But um, I think knowing, knowing connections is a great way to get into a company and a good leeway into an interview as well, because it, you know, it kind of eases the conversation. You you might say, hey, Laura, I know you went to NC State too. Go Wolfpack. Like that's a, a nice thing to kind of start the discussion. Or if you know something about their coworker, you know, anything like that can kind of make that recruiter feel more of a personal connection with you. Very good. Next question from Liz. What corporate language should we stay away from? You referenced to not say, can we circle back to that? Oh, good question, Liz. So are there kind of like buzzwords that you want to stay away from, you know, I want to help people. I'm just wondering, you've heard it all, my hiring manager friends. My, um, my nails on the chalkboard, um, like statement is when someone comes in and they, they haven't had their first position yet. They really haven't had a chance to kind of break into industry yet. And they walk in and say like, I really want to manage people. And I just think that that's great, but like, let's start building that foundation first. So I think just an awareness of kind of where we are in our, in our, you know, in our career path right now and kind of uh, you know, honesty about that is, is helpful versus just saying like, you know, or, or I want to be the CEO and I'm like, that's, that's great, but that's not going to happen the next two to three years. So, um, so yeah, those are my nail and chalkboard ones. Okay. Very nice. All right. I'm going to get back to a pre-question that was asked. This has to do with visible tattoos. Um, so what is the deal with that right now? <laughs> Does having a visible tattoo, multiple piercings, really interestingly co colored hair have any impact at this stage on the hiring process? I see Laura smiling so big on that. Do you want to take it off? Yeah, I mean... Uh I think it, it kind of depends on the position. You know, some companies have a very business professional culture and that's something you can tell from a website or tell from anyone at the company. Like if you look them up, you should be able to kind of gather that information. Um, but I think as a rule of thumb, generally I'd say probably doesn't matter too much. I mean, I, I don't know if my other recruiters here have a different opinion. For my company, we're very business casual. So I could care less, you know, what you look like. I Our hiring managers are trained to be non-biased as possible. So I do not care what your appearance is. All I care is if you can do the job. It doesn't matter what you're wearing, what your hair color is, what your tattoos are, et cetera. Uh, but that could, could be different for another company. You know, if they're more business professional, professional, maybe like a lawyer firm or a, an engineering company. So I think just know your audience. But as a rule of thumb, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Um, as long as you just, you know, look like somewhat good. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't put too much emphasis on it. Yeah, I, speaking from experience, 
Um, I have very visible tattoos, um, but visible is defined by what you're wearing, right? So I've been in my role for more than 17 years, so nobody cares. And But if I was to go interview at a new company, they wouldn't be visible tattoos. They would be, they would be covered by sleeves, right? And, and they would never show until I felt comfortable with that organization. So it's, it almost sounds hypocritical, but I would say, don't show them, you know, you know, until you're in the culture and you know how they're going to be viewed. Um, but um, that's how I approach it, having them. So I, I agree with the, I mean, I don't mind it at all. My sister's covered from head to toe. And I even tell her, I'm like, please just cover them up because of what Laura was saying earlier is everyone has that unconscious bias. No matter how much training we receive and how much we're trying to work on ourselves, you don't know who's interviewing you and, and that they might just have an unconscious bias against it. And, and the, the more of those that you keep out of your interview, the better. <laughs> so if you're covered, it's, it's not even a thing. Um, but I, I don't think it will go against you either. Um, but it's, it's just better safe than sorry is what, what I try to tell her. I think it can go against you with the wrong person. You know, it depends on it depends on the company. Um, yeah, better safe than sorry. And you know, like I said, partially hypocritical, but it's a fact. So I agree with you, though, Bob. I do think it could go it could go poorly for a candidate yeah. coming into a position. But I think it, you know, if I was a candidate coming in with visible tattoos, or you know, um, I've always wanted to have purple hair. I've never had it, but you know, if I was wanting to work in an environment that was cool with me having purple hair. I would want to know that walking into the interview. So I would I would encourage people not to hide who they are or cover things up and you know interview with kind of you know present one way during the interview and then show up for the first day of work completely flipped because we want to be we want to be candid with who we are. We want, you know, I want to hire somebody who's comfortable in their identity in our culture and in our environment. So um, I wouldn't suppress anything on the interview because if it's going to not going to work there, it's not going to work long time long term at the company either. Very good. Um, all right. One last word on this, Darlene. You look like you were unmuted. Uh, yeah. So I completely agree with everything everyone said, right? I think you never know who is perceiving you how, right? And so um, it's a statement you're making if you don't care <laughs> and you want them to be comfortable with your purple hair, then you need to wear your purple hair. I, I was just thinking everyone was talking though. It's about distractions, right? For me. And so you're welcome, Jenny. Um, yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't care if it's your purple hair, your tattoo, the earrings you chose to wear, the perfume or cologne you had on or wrinkles in your shirt. You don't want people distracted by whatever is going on with you. You want them focused on what you're saying and what you have to offer. So the, to the extent you can limit the distractions, um, which is easier when we interview virtually, right? So you guys don't know that I have on crazy pink socks, right? But I wouldn't wear them in to my interview because I don't want you looking at my pink socks. Um, so I just think that's probably where my focus would be. And my advice that I would give is whatever it is you're bringing in for that, for that virtual or that in-person an interview you just want to make sure and that's why we always say you know you are on the side of wearing things that are kind of subtle and simple and this that and the other you don't wear your perfume and you don't do your crazy hair that day just because you're, you're you want them focused on what you can deliver Ooh, winner winner chicken dinner um courtney you did a great interview on this for the podcast with one of our graduate students if you can pop that in the chat too and um gosh this time has flown we need to give everybody a chance to do a quick bio break before they go to their next session so i'm gonna ask one last question 
Okay, I love this one. And thank you, Lori, for upvoting this. How do you reply to what are your salary expectations? I can start with that. Uh, yeah, so this is, I, I'm really glad you brought this up. Uh, so I think you should look at the job market first off. Uh, you can find a lot of information on Glassdoor, Indeed. I mean, there's probably 15 different websites out there. Know your market. You know, you don't want to go in too low and you don't want to go in too high or else your recruiter is going to be like, what are you looking at to get this information? So I would say know the market first and foremost, and also don't sell yourself short. You know, just because you might not have a, you know, a really fancy internship or you might not have three years of work experience, you are coming from a top university and you have a lot to add. So I would say, I would go a little bit higher, honestly, than what you are looking for. And I would negotiate for sure. Um, I can't tell you how many times I have approval from my company to offer a salary range starting from here to here. And, you know, we offer one and the person accepts it, you know, but there is a little bit of wiggle room for them to negotiate. And it, it, you know, bums me out coming from a career standpoint, because I, I want to give people as much as possible. But if you don't ask, you never know. And your recruiter is not going to retract an offer just because you ask for a higher salary. You know, if anything, it shows that you're competitive and you you want to get what you feel that you are worth. So I would say know your market, um, value yourself and definitely negotiate once you get an offer. Okay, lovely. Well, Wolfpack fans, this hour has flown by. Thank you all so much for spending part of your Sunday with us. We know there are many things you could be doing today. Um, thank you, friends, for being here today.